0: Edge is proud to be supported by True Leaf Market, suppliers of superb seed since 1974. Sowing season is here, and whether you're looking for vegetables, herbs, flowers, cover crops, microgreens or seeds for sprouting, True Leaf Market has you covered. Check out TrueleafMarket.com for a superb selection of seeds plus tons of free advice, including their downloadable guides to microgreens, herb growing, and more. Get $10 off orders of $50 or more now using code ONTHELEDGE10. That's $10 off orders of $50 or more using code ONTHELEDGE10 now at TrueleafMarket.com. TrueLeafMarket Market. Bringing the seed you need. Hello, and welcome to a podcast that is six years old. Gosh, I feel ancient. I just realised the other day, on Wednesday this week, that it was exactly six years since Ledge started back in February 2017. So, happy anniversary to me and thank you to all of you who've been there since day dot and those of you who have joined along the way. You are all immensely welcome. I'm your host, Jane Perrone. And in this week's show, it's the On the Ledge Sew Along, fifth year of running this particular feature, where I get you to grow houseplants from seed. And I'm going to introduce the sew along this week and chat to UK houseplant expert Joe Bagley about one of the plants that's very, very popular for people to grow for the sew along. And that is, of course, the sensitive plant Mimosa pudica. Before we get on to that, a very quick thank you for all your fabulous feedback about last week's show, where we heard from LGBTQ plus people about what houseplants mean to them. The response was phenomenal and it was lovely to hear all your warm, kindly comments about the episode, which, of course, I take no credit for. That was down to the wonderful listeners who stepped up. So thank you to all of you who helped make that episode so special. Thank you also to a bunch of listeners who've been digging deep into their pockets to help on the ledge. Keep going week to week. Darren gave a one-off donation via co-fi.com while Wynne and Chloe became legends and Laurie and Will became crazy plant people while Megan upgraded from crazy plant person to legend. Thank you all of you for being lovely individuals. And if you want to support the show, via Patreon. All the details are in the show notes. Alternatively, if you don't have the cash, then just take a minute of your precious time to write a review for the show. I recently realised that you can actually leave reviews on Spotify. You can't say anything, but you can give shows a star rating. And indeed, lots of you have done that. So please, if you're on Spotify or on any other platform that offers reviews, please do give the show a review. It really does make a difference. And as the launch date for my book, Legends of the Leaf, is coming ever closer on April the 27th, I promised you a fact from the book in every podcast episode between now and then. And here's this week's fact. It's about one of the 25 iconic species in this book that I profile in depth. And on this occasion, it's Howia fosteriana, commonly known as the Kentia palm. One of those really fascinating house plants that was beloved of the Victorians. Well, the rich Victorians anyway, uh, because this plant was blooming expensive. And I found a report in the New York Sun from 1893 that said that a large Kentia palm would cost $50 in 1893, which is roughly about $1,500 today in today's money. So the plant was so valuable and, and, you know, so exclusive that a lot of people just couldn't afford one, even a small one. So they would just buy cut fronds, which they would place in vases and display to give that image of luxuriousness. I love that. And, you know, it's something we can still see today in the way that people uh, surround themselves with little ciphers of luxury So there you go. We thought that the trend for hugely expensive houseplants was a new thing, but no, it goes back to Victorian times and well before. There are loads more fascinating facts about the Kentia Palm in the book. So if you haven't pledged for a copy or pre-ordered a copy, do go and do that now. It's coming out, should be available from all the usual places, and you can find a link in the show notes. (laughs) the meat and drink of today's show which is the on the ledge so long as I've already said now if you haven't been around these parts uh, very long you may be wondering what on earth I'm talking about well being thrifty sort and i mean also the kind of person who likes to be as sustainable as possible with my house plants i love growing house plants from seed and often when i say that to people the response i get is Can you grow houseplants from seed? And the answer is a resounding yes, you can. Admittedly, not every single species that you can buy as a houseplant can be grown from seed for various different reasons. But there are tons of things that you can grow as houseplant enthusiasts from a packet of seeds. And there are loads of benefits. It's a really thrifty and cheap way of growing. And you end up with lots of spare plants that you can give away to friends and family. And you learn loads about your plants as you grow them from seed, way more than you would just by buying a mature plant. So it's a fantastic experience that I'd encourage you all to have a go at this year. So how do you take part? Well, it's very, very simple. Everybody can take part. There are no bars to Being involved. So, if your kind of propagation doesn't happen to involve sowing from seed and you just don't have the time, equipment, or whatever for sowing from seed, you can join in with a bit of vegetative propagation instead with cuttings or the like. But if you want to sow from seed, then there is loads of advice available. I will link in the show notes to all the previous On the Ledge episodes covering every aspect of growing from seed, from sourcing the seed to sowing it, the equipment you'll need, what you can try and specifics about things like growing cacti from seed, growing ferns from spores and loads more. The main things you need to take part really are just somewhere light, light and sunny or indeed a grow light a small amount of seed compost which is compost that's specially designed for sowing seeds it's it's got less big lumps in it and generally works much better for seeds some kind of pot or container a clear plastic bag or a propagator those are the basic things you need maybe some labels would be helpful too you don't need a lot to take part go and look in the show notes for information about where to source your seeds And my main message would just be to have a go. Some things won't work. Every year I have various packets that do not germinate. Sometimes it goes really pear-shaped. Last year I lost all my succulents because they got fried in my greenhouse while I was on holiday. But I keep going and I've had some wonderful successes too. So even if you've never sown a seed in your life, this is your chance to get involved. So please have a go, sow some seeds and let me know how you're getting on. Probably if I was trying to work out a top five of types of seeds sown, it would run roughly along the lines of cacti and succulents at number one, maybe the Swiss cheese plant, Monstra Deliciosa at number two, maybe Coleus, the brightly coloured indoor outdoor plant, cheapest chips and delightful at number three, And I think maybe at number four would be the plant we're going to talk about today, Mimosa pudica, the sensitive plant. So a bit later on, we're going to hear from Joe Bagley, who is an expert at growing this plant from seed and has loads of info to impart about how to do that if you fancy giving it a try. So practicality wise, at this stage of the game, the thing to do is to get hold of your seed if you haven't done so already and get ready for sowing in the next few weeks. If you are on social media, then anything you do regarding the sew along, please post about it and add the hashtag OTL Then I will be alerted here in my plant cave <laughs> on the ledge towers and I will do regular roundups of what everyone's getting up to with the sew along so you can feel involved if you're not on social media that's fine just drop me an email to on the ledge podcast at gmail.com equally if you've got questions regarding seed sowing chuck them my way So start in the next few weeks as you have time and materials available. Start using that hashtag OTL If you're on the Facebook group Houseplant Fans of On The Ledge, there'll definitely be posts on there for the Sew Along and you can look back at what other people are doing. It's a wonderful, friendly group. Please go and join if you happen to be on Facebook. You can also post about the OTL Sew Along in my regular Twitter chat Houseplant Hour, which happens every Tuesday at 9pm UK time, that's 4pm Eastern time. So if neither of those is your time zones, you're going to have to do a bit of Googling and work out when it is where you are. But it's an enormously fun Twitter chat, relaxed, fun, informative, and I'd love you to take part if you happen to be on Twitter. I should also say, what would be number five? I haven't thought about this. What would be the top what would be number five on the list of things people sow? Oh gosh, I'm going to have to think now. We've said cacti and succulents. We've said coleus, sensitive plant. I guess it would probably be something edible like microgreens or chilies. Lots of people enjoying doing that. And I'm going to be sowing my chili seeds this very weekend without fail. If I haven't sown them by next week, tell me off. Please do, because I need the motivation. So that's a basic outline of the On The Ledge Sew Along. As I say, if you're new, go and look at those show notes and listen to other episodes from the past. There's a cornucopia of info out there. And in the coming weeks, I'll be dropping in snippets of info for you as well to enhance your On The Ledge Sew Along experience. I'm also planning to do an epic Twitter thread about growing house plants from seed um, I'll link to that once I've done it too now on to today's interview my guest today is Joe Bagley the creator of UKhouseplants.com he's a wonderful chap who is a real house plant expert who if you're in the UK you might remember from Gardener's world where he showed off his wonderful indoor jungle. So, without any further ado, let's start talking about the sensitive plant.
1: Hello everyone. My name is Joe Bagley. I have a little blog and website called ukhouseplant.com and I also do some work for BBC Gardeners' World, which is a very big show here in the UK.
0: Joe, I think you're being a little modest to say that you've got a little website. Your website is a really amazing resource on house plants which I do go re- recommend. Everyone goes and has a look at Oh, thank you. And it's great to have you finally on the show. We've been planning this for over a year and various things have got in the way, but it's great (laughs) to have you on the show. The topic that we are talking about today is the plant known as mimosa Pudica I saw it actually was looking at various websites and books on this and I'd never heard it called the shame plant before but I know it as the sensitive plant but that's one of its other names. It's a really popular plant with my listeners lots of them grow it um, from seed for the so along every year so it seemed only right to do uh, dedicate a whole episode to this plant. Is this something that you
1: have tried growing? Do you like this? Is this one that's that's in your repertoire? Definitely. It's, um, me and my best friend always have a competition who can grow the tallest one because they grow so quickly. You know, by the end of the year, if you start in March, you can you, you usually get about a foot, two feet of um, growth on there. So yeah, it's definitely a plant to recommend. It's really, really good for little kids as well. So if you have kids or you're a teacher, you want to get them into houseplants or just gardening in general, i definitely have a look at the mosa because, of course, they move very quickly. And kids like, you know, in, instant responses to things like Venus flytraps. So definitely recommend them.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely true. If you say to a kid, yeah, in about th- four weeks to six weeks, it's going to flower. They're like, really? Like, do I have to wait this long? It, it, it does provide immediate gratification, which I think probably adults enjoy as well, actually. Um, so do you grow, though, you're growing from seed every year, those the,
1: your competition plants? Yes, so I grow them both ways. So you can grow them from seed, and you can get the seeds very, very cheaply online, or you can go to local garden centres, sometimes DIY stores, and buy them in a twelve-centimetre pot. They're usually about five pounds. And if you if you don't want to be, you know, waiting around for a few weeks before you get a nice little baby mimosa head along down to the garden centre and have a look uh, but yeah both ways are really really good I usually buy them ready-made but the last year I did do them from seed which is equally as fun and even more cuter because the leaves are so so small and oh they're so adorable. Do they
0: still respond
1: at a tiny size do they still c- close up? Yeah they do they're not as um fruitful as the like the ad- adults would be but no they, they still do and the older the uh, plant gets, the more individual leaves are on the on the little um branch. and what happens then is if you have more than 20 leaflets in that um, the mid rim, then what happens is if you touch the right at the end of the little branch, each individual pair of leaves will shut one after the other, and it will be a, essentially like a little domino effect. and yeah, the older they get, the more interesting they behave. But when they're younger, it takes they're not as quick, but they still will shut.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. I, I've, I've not gr- had a tiny one like that, so it's interesting to see how they respond. And what is this all about? <laughs> why are they doing this in the first place? It's not a particularly common uh, reaction or, or ability in plants to, to be able to move so fast. I guess really the only other obvious example being the Venus flytrap, or maybe the squirting cucumber, you know, squirting out seeds. But why does the
1: sensitive plant take this approach? Yeah, so they're not carnivorous plants. When when I used to work at a garden centre, people always used to ask, oh, do they eat flies? And I say, no, 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 no. They're a very delicate plant. You know, they're lovers. They're not eaters. There's a thing called the pulvinic valve or muscle, essentially. And if you touch the little trichomes, little hairs, Um, on the leaves, similar to the Venus flytrap, then a lot of the fluids will um, exit the uh, leaf back into the stem and the stem will secrete a hormone, which will rapidly shut or open up the leaf, depending on the plant. But in this case, all the leaves will fold upwards. And if the plant is really, you know, touched quite a lot or wind or there's rain involved, then the actual branches also will bend downwards and when the branches bend downwards it takes a little bit longer for the plant to open its leaves and you know become um, turgid again but it does take a lot of energy out the plant so if you want to you know have a look at it and have a go what i would do is video record it so whenever you have that you know urge to touch the leaf and see it shut just watch the video instead because the plant will you know it won't use all its energy and a really good little fact is they also will shut at night um, as well you don't need to touch them they will naturally do this a little bit like the prayer plants it's quite amazing because they shut before it starts to get dark as if the plant already knows exactly the moment that twilight's going to start happening, and the uh, the the light levels will diminish. They, they don't just shut once it's fully dark. They they kind of predict you know half an hour before before it gets dark, which is really really fascinating.
0: That is fascinating. When I was researching my book, why leaves do that at night time, and they were, they turned out as ever. There's never a simple answer to these things. It's a really really complicated answer um, to do with all kinds of things, mainly to do with. Um, complex interactions between um, predators and herbivores and the plant yeah you realize well it's obviously worth the plants putting their energy into shutting those leaves and top tip to take that video great idea because I know if anyone's like me you just be like "Ah, let's do it again let's do it again and then your plant's dead the following (laughs) week it's not it's not ideal
1: Yeah, not good.
0: I'm presuming this plant is something that we're not going to be putting outside in the garden. We do need it inside as a house plant because it's a a tropical, subtropical species.
1: They are best indoors. You can have them outside, but the only issue is, of course, if there's sunlight on the leaves, that will dry the plant out. Uh, If there's wind, of course, the wind resistance will soak up and whisk away all the moisture in the the roots, the stem, the soil, etc., So And of course, aphids would like it because they're quite soft tissue on the leaves. Um, The aphids will think that's a very nice little burger and chips meal right there for them. Um, But you can have them outdoors. But because they're quite delicate, for me, i definitely try and keep it indoors. Some people do give them a bit of direct sun and I do. Um, The issue is you've got to watch them like a hawk all the time because as soon as you if you miss a day and it's in direct sun even if it's just a few hours in the morning or the evening they can dry out quite quickly it's not like a, a spider plant where they've got quite thick tuberous root systems that look you know essentially like a little potato they hold the moisture for a long period of time if the plants underwatered these elimimosas have such thin roots thin leaves thin stems is they need that nice you know reliable uh, moisture But yeah, what I would do is just keep them on like a north or a northeast facing window and then just keep them moist. And what I do is I'd make a little pebble tray as well. Just get a little plant saucer, put some stones on, fill the water up so that the stone level is just a bit higher than the water level and then put the plant on top. And that seems to help um, slow the rate of drying soil as well.
0: I'm wondering whether this might be also a plant that I might put in a self-watering pot or something like that to kind of try to keep that
1: moisture going. Yes. No, you just took the words out of my mouth. Self-watering pots would be really good. If you can get one which is on the smaller side, that's great. Um, if you do buy the, the little mimosas from the garden centre and they're already in like a, a 12, 15 centimetre pot, then you definitely repot it into the next size up because you'll notice very quickly that there are a lot of root system going on in there. You'll also smell, they do have an antifungal um property in the roots so that mushrooms fungi don't grow within the the root space but they smell really nice and and every time i smell the root system it smells it sounds really strange but and if anyone's ever repotted one you'll know the the scent um because for me i always repot them at the start to spring and it's like a a smell of spring you know like the warmth is going to come for the summer but yes, definitely repot it if you've um if you've got a little twelve centimeter pot uh, bought specimen. If you've got little seedlings, just try and space them out and then pop them in a self-watering pot. Um if you don't if you can't afford that or you don't know where to get them, you don't know w- what what they're about, the pebble trick is, you know, pretty much just as good. It's just a more, you know, classic way of doing it.
0: Immediately every listeners are rushing off to smell their mimosa roots for that, <laughs> that elusive scent of spring. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I've never, never come across that, but I'm definitely going to give that a try.
1: It's just quite an, an earthy smell, but it's it's a nice it's a nice earthy smell. It's it's weird, but yeah, there is definitely a smell. It's one of the only times where you, I smell the roots. And I'm like, yes, spring is here. Everyone, let's go. Uh, see,
0: I know that you're a man after my own heart, Joe, because the fact that you're smelling roots like. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what I'm like. I'm be like, OK, I need to smell these roots. Check they're not funky smelling, because obviously that's a really good indicator, isn't it? That you've got a problem under the surface. It's, it's
1: actually really worth using your nose around houseplants,
0: but I think a lot of people don't realise that
1: yeah and exactly there's a lot of like you know if you grow herbs like basil for example you can smell the nice um freshness of the leaves or some types of flat um, orchids like the cymbidium they have nice um scented flowers as well sweet scented and then yeah the roots so yeah house plants aren't just visual and you know you don't just have to touch them you can smell them as well probably wouldn't eat a lot of the house plants but you can certainly smell them <laughs>
0: absolutely absolutely yeah and i think it's as i say it's it's using all your senses to really get a sense of what's going on with your plants is absolutely Definitely. vital and um i mean everyone sm- has different assessments of smells though i don't know if you find this but my partner finds certain plants smell the flowers just don't smell good to him when they do flower even ones that are meant to smell good so it's all in the in the individual nose yes but I'll be interested to just hear from listeners about what they think
1: the roots of mimosas pudica smell like. We'll find out. I'd love, I'd <laughs> love to know because they do have a scent. I, I feel like I go insane when I say it, but they do. It's, it's For me, it's the <laughs> scent of spring and summer. This
0: is the kind of deep information we're absolutely all about on this podcast. So that <laughs> is amazing. That is amazing. I'm discovering that so many house plants have traditional medicinal purposes. I always sort of preempt these conversations by saying, "Don't try this at home." But are there any <laughs> are there any uses of this plant that people uh, have traditionally used in the wild?
1: Pretty much everything. When I researched all the different medicinal um, you know properties that this plant has the amount of things that this plant was used for over the years over the decades over the centuries Uh, it's all sorts it's gone from you know fatigue to depression even piles as well I mean I don't (laughs) I don't know what I don't know what's in the mimosa for them to to do it's like the multi-purpose medicinal plant you know everything was used for it pretty much headaches everything so yes I wouldn't recommend you know, eating the leaves or boiling them into a soup or something. But no, they they did have quite a strong impact, especially in China and Oriental Asia as well. There was a lot of different, um, you know, background information on that. It's weird because they are from the um, the Americas, so it was it's obviously been introduced to Asia, to Africa, to Australasia as well quite recently, but they were still used for medicinal purposes. So yeah, if you've got piles and, you know, maybe have a look at using a mimosa. I'm joking, by the way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Seek seek, uh, guidance from your doctor before using this plant. Uh, That's what I always have to say. Yeah, there's actually, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know what, uh, the mind boggles, but it's interesting to know that there's all these. Uh, and I'm sure that like a lot of uh, spe- houseplant species, probably scientists are just catching up on what it might actually be useful in a modern Western medicine sense. So it's that's interesting to know.
1: Yes. Yes. And they do have thorns, so especially with piles. Don't be using that because it would be. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're not killing two birds with one stone. You're doing the opposite. Double ended thorn. Oh that's So um, yeah, Yeah. Good point. Amazing, absolutely amazing. Maybe the roots were used as well. You never know. Those nice smelling roots that could have been used as well.
0: Absolutely. When you're growing them from seed, are the seeds those kind of really tiny seeds that you have to kind of hold your breath while you're sowing but how do you sow them is it are you would it be familiar to anyone who's
1: say sown something like coleus seeds in the past yeah they're not massively small they're a few millimeters in um, diameter they're slightly flatter they're not um like a perfect sphere but you know they're a lot bigger than like poppy seeds for example so you know if you breathe wrong then they'll obviously blow everywhere off the table off the potting bench but you no know, mimosa seeds you, you can see them you can pick them up so, yeah, you, you only want to put them around about one, two, three millimetres into the potting mix or just sprinkle some fine vermiculite over them when you want to um, to sow them. But, yeah, they're quite cute. And if you do keep the, the seedlings alive over the year in September, October, November, they begin to produce those really beautiful flowers. Try and have a go at self-pollination on two different flowers. Sometimes they can self-pollinate within one plant. It's not often Uh, but if you have lots of them all grown at the same time hopefully they will different um, individual plants will flower at the same time if you try and cross-pollinate them you'll get the seeds again and you can actually try and do it every single year um, which is a really, really good idea. It's a bit like lupins essentially. Once you get you get the knack of trying to pollinate them or if the bugs outside um, airborne pollinators can do that, then you'll get seeds every single year. and essentially you don't have to buy any more mimosas because you'll you'll have a nice little family family history of them, a little family tree going.
0: That's a top tip. And are the flowers um, worth it? I mean, sometimes I always think some flowers are sort of damned in houseplant books where they say flowers insignificant. And you think, well, they're not that insignificant. What what are the Mimosa pudica flowers like? Oh, no, they're
1: they're beautiful. Typical Mimosa, to be honest. Um, They're just kind of like a a globular pom-pom, a light pink, slightly purpley pom-pom, basically. Very, very delicate to touch. And all the pollens on the outside. And no, they're really, really beautiful. Um, They only last for a few days but when you when they do flower take photos because they're so intricate and they're beautiful um definitely take photos of them
0: there's something quite beguiling about them I can't quite put my finger on it any scent do we have any scent to offer or other?
1: well once you stop smelling the roots <laughs> once I've gone down from the roots I'll work my way back up to the flowers I, I can't remember them ever really making any sm- nice smells Um, but if you do touch them you'll get the little you know the yellowy cream coloured pollen on your fingers um, so it's more of a visual thing but yeah try and pollinate them because you know we've me and my best friend we've both done it together it was the first year we had them I think when we were 15 16 and we did it as a joke, we just thought, oh, let's try and pollinate them, see if they actually work. Didn't think anything of it, and lo and behold, you start you started getting little seed pods developing. So, yeah, have a go. The flowers are really beautiful, but they don't really smell. So keep your nose down at the roots. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and do you sow them? Do you need to put have some warmth on there? Is this one something where you need a heated
1: propagator to really
0: get them going?
1: Yeah, they're from like the Central America, South America kind of area, so they are used to quite warm environments if you do it this time of year which to be honest even now you can grow them you know they're you can grow them at any time of year if you have a nearby heater or radiator just put them in the soil maybe vermiculite or the um another very fine bit of soil on top put some cling film or a lid over it so they don't you know evaporate to moisture really quickly and keep it near the radiator because it's it's a good little side um you know side heat source instead of getting a little heat mat which cost money cost money to run just use the radiator but yeah a little bit of moisture is great but not anything colder than about 16 15 16 Celsius which if my conversion is right it's about 59 61 Fahrenheit if I remember rightly I'm not very good around that kind of area but yeah not too cold because they can um you can get fung- fungus growing and the soil just doesn't doesn't perform well in cold environments when it's wet
0: you're absolutely right a bit of heat is helpful but if you can keep the costs down in this day and age yeah we're all grateful for not having to
1: run any more uh uh, things (laughs) exactly yeah so radiators are the new propagators i think
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely i can definitely see that taking off once you've got them going presumably then you need to kind of prick them out uh, into separate
1: pots once they get to a you know a few centimeters yeah yeah i wouldn't essentially put them in like individual plant pots. I do find they do tend to work better together. But of course, there is like a limit of how many can get in one pot. You know, the ones that you people grow in the nurseries for, you know, British garden centres, um, at least in Britain, I'm not sure about Europe or the rest of the world. But they do grow quite a lot in one pot, um, sometimes a little bit too many because they all fight over the moisture As I said at the start. But no, if you can, if you get like a 12 or 15 centimetre pot, then you can put, definitely get 10 in each one. Uh, And also when you are sowing them, give them a bit of space, a little bit of breathing room. And that's really, really good. But yeah, pricking is quite fun uh, because the root systems are very delicate. And of course, they are young. And if you touch the leaves, they will fold. Uh, That uses the energy. So you you may lose a few because of how delicate they are and the energy loss, but Um, You can try that. Or what I sometimes do is if you've got like a little seed tray, but then you can get another seed tray, which is deeper, essentially just repot the entire seed tray, which is quite thin at that point, a few centimetres in depth, into a a wide, you know, deeper pot with some fresh soil at the bottom. And that's a really good way, especially with moses, where you don't, you know, you can eliminate uh, transplant shock.
0: It's always a risk when you're dealing with seedlings, isn't it? That uh, you could just mess everything. It's easy to mess things up. I've been there, done that on that front. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And that's the trouble with growing things from seed is that you can get, do really well all the way along and then one silly mistake or forgetting about them for a couple of days and it's all over. But then again, a packet of mimosa seeds, it's not a great deal of money, so you can always try again. These are quite short-lived plants, I think. In in a way, a good idea, as you say, to self-pollinate them uh, and get some more seeds because probably a mature plant might get to, say, 12, 18 months before it
1: decides to kind of keel over. <laughs> yes, um, they don't last massively long. Not, you know, the um, the, the oxalis triangularis they have the lovely colour of the leaves and the leaves fold up at night, open the day. They can last years and years. You can propagate them. Um, but the the thing with the mimosas is they are pretty much just an annual. But we've got, me and my best friend have got one which survived for two years once. Um, the little trick is, you know, once they get to about a metre um a meter a foot a foot and a half they're not that big <laughs> a foot and a foot and a half then what 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 we did was we quite literally decapitated it by half took the top um half of the growth off and left just a few um cl- clusters of leaves which was really really good and then that just forced some new energy some new branches to come out and it did actually last two years um it's weird because when you cut the leaf, the the stem in half the new leaves that come out, they tend to be a lot smaller. It's because I it find it really weird. So they go from being very small as they're a little seedling or babies. The leaves get bigger and bigger and then they'll get a big cluster of leaves on one per branch and the leaves go small again. But when you cut them down, they keep with that small um, you know, attire to them and the leaves tend to be a bit thicker. I don't know whether it's just my individual one that we pruned back, but the leaves and the plants seem to be more essentially more mature like it knew it was like okay joe's you know forgot to water me again i'm not going to dehydrate as quickly this time i'm going to deal with neglect better but they they tend to be better behaved if that's the right word um after the second year so yeah i'd say that the limit is you know 18 months maybe 24 months if you really know what to do with the plants but they are more of an, an annual thing
0: I bet there's gonna be some listener go, well actually yeah. I do have a meter tall mimosa yeah. pudica. There's always somebody out there who's gonna who's gonna prove us wrong, but you're absolutely right. And probably it would be impressive to get one that lasts that, that long and reaches a meter tall. I don't know how tall they grow in nature I imagine they're more sort of scrambling plants anyway they're not going to be like getting to any great height no
1: they they do grow I think hours. mine and Megan's I'm trying to think how long I do have a photo I'll try and send I'll send a photo to you if you want of it it was I'd say it must have been about 60 70 centimeters but they're amazing when they're that tall they're really amazing the thing is it's it's quite poignant to remember that pot of the plant and I, I repot it in the next size up but there was about 20 in there and by the time that little mimosa was about 70 centimeters in height there was only three in the pot so you, you can see how many do die off because of essentially the the fight the, the fight to light and the um the darwinian theory of, you know there's only the strong survive essentially but yeah no they, they're beautiful when they're quite tall though they are absolutely stunning.
0: It's a real lesson for us, I think, with houseplants, because oftentimes it's so frequent that, we, you know, you buy a plant in the garden centre and it's not one plant in the pot. It's several. But we, I think people think it's a multi-stemmed plant, whereas actually it's just loads of seedlings. And so many people are like, why is my plant dying off? And you're like, well, you know, it, it could go either way. You might lose all of the seedlings because they all get out-competed, or you might just have the strongest ones that last. But it's a really good lesson to actually actually look at what you're dealing with and take them out of the pot and maybe separate them out. Although I imagine with, with those this particular species, because of that fibrous root system, it might be tricky once they've established to try to tease out separate plants.
1: Yes. Um, with the root ball, I'll essentially tease half of them out. So it's two semicircles of root balls. And you do get that lovely smell again, I will say that. <laughs> but... <laughs> they you can tease them apart but you do lose a few and um it's it's difficult uh, as long as the soil is moist that's pretty much the only thing you can do to you know limit transplant shock but try and split them is good or get them from seeds give them a bit of room to grow each individual one jobs are good and
0: Sounds great. Well, I know lots of listeners have already given this plant a try, but hopefully we've inspired a few more to uh, crack on with the on the ledge sew along this year and, and sow some mimosa seeds. Any other house
1: plants that you like growing from seed? I like um, doing the coleus is really good because the colours, if you get really nice deep purples, um, that's a really good one. And then also, I'm going to try this year I'm my air plant is with child. It's pregnant at the moment with seed pods. Oh, we haven't we <laughs> haven't got the seed pods to open up yet, but we are getting there. So I'm hopefully fingers crossed. I don't know how long, long it will take, maybe a few more months. I've had it for two months and it hasn't done anything, is grow little air plants from seed. Obviously, it's going to be quite strange because you don't grow them in soil. So I'm going to try the, you know, the cotton wool trick, keeping it wet, sprinkle them on top and then put like a little lid with a few holes in, see if that works. But yeah, that's my next project. But yeah, you know, things like basil, for example, and herbs, I do like trying to grow stuff from herbs. And there is one funny thing I do do um, is I sometimes get Hello Fresh, which is like the you know the that you get like a little box of uh, recipes of ingredients, and you'll always get like the peppers and the apples and stuff. What I do is I take all the seeds out and I sprinkle it in nearby pots around the house, and you get a little pepper. You know, growth spurts coming up, um, It's is quite <laughs> fun, actually. I find they grow better in other plant pots than they do in their own pots, you know. That's really interesting. I wonder what's going on there. I know. I don't know whether it's me or whether they just like growing with friends, you no know, new mature friends or what. But I've always found it difficult to grow certain things in normal seed trays, but sprinkle them in, you know, almost carelessly in random plant pots around the house. They come up like, you know, the life of Riley.
0: Well, there you go. I'm going to give that a try this year. I've I've saved a few chilies from the chilies I had last year, which I didn't actually grow from seed. I had some; um, those were ones I bought from an, an allotment uh, that was doing a big. Plants at seedling sale. But I've saved them and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm gonna do but that's actually a really good tip. That sounds like my kind of tip. Less work yeah <laughs> and better results. I like the sound of that. And the good
1: thing is it saves more space so you can get more mature houseplants. So it leaves up uh, greens the greens the your house up even more, which I've admittedly I've had to do now, I'm starting to put plants into the same pot because <laughs> I don't have any more room.
0: I seem to remember that you know you have a lot, have house plants. Do, do you or are you kind of like me a bit of a non-counter when it comes to you just don't
1: need to know exactly how many you've got no i i I haven't counted in almost three years and i'm a bit scared to be honest (laughs) um but no there's a lot and upstairs downstairs it's more um you know empty not empty but it's more of a living space of course if you're bringing friends family around for example or you know the postman drops a parcel off and he looks into your house and you're thinking gosh it's like blooming kew gardens and hey how do you live um <laughs> then yeah downstairs is you know that's where you entertain but upstairs you know walking through rooms you have to walk through branches um i live opposite my grandmother and she owns the house and she's she's been she's been quite annoyed with me before because it's like trying to break through the amazon getting in uh getting upstairs <laughs>
0: The funny thing is my house is the opposite, really, in that all the plants are in the living areas and I have very few plants in my bedroom, mainly because there's very little uh, there's no windowsill in my bedroom and there's just nowhere really for my bedroom is quite relatively small my daughter's got the big bedroom lucky child um so she's got a big a big um in there and some other plants but um there's not much room in my bedroom and i have had plants in the bedroom before on a shelf above the bed in a previous house and i've been banned from doing that because i basically had a nightmare literally Uh-oh. jumped up and started grabbing the plants above the bed and chucking them on the bed so yeah i've been banned from <laughs> having plants <laughs> by the bed which is actually fair enough really but yes. uh, yeah everyone has to find their own best solution to these uh these issues <laughs> but uh, it sounds like your house is uh, is a is a delight and um i'm sure that lots of listeners will be inspired to get be giving
1: the sensitive plant a, a go this year so thank you so much for joining me joe no, that's okay. No, mimosas are really good. It's one of the first plants I ever grew, so it's it's a it's got a very deep place in my heart. But yeah, no, they're really fascinating plants. They're not the easiest, to be fair. You you do have to monocoddle them a little bit, keep them moist, but they are fantastic. If you keep them alive, they are a talking point. And if you have any kids in the house, um definitely show them what they do. Maybe before you buy them, show them on YouTube and every person i've showed even adults they always lights their face up seeing them shut and especially as they mature and each individual pair of leaves shuts like a domino effect so definitely go out go to a garden center see if they have them in it's usually march april time when they come in or get the seeds online because they are fantastic plants
0: thanks so much joe i'm in complete agreement so much to joe and remember do start using the hashtag otl along and sending me pictures of what you're doing and what you're getting up to there will be more sew along episodes in the pipeline just for you no question of the week this week but A Q&A special is steaming view. so if you've got a question for me do drop me a line i need your questions for the q a special so drop me a line to on the ledge at gmail.com with lots of info about your plant pictures are also really helpful and i'll do my damnedest to try to include your question and provide you with all the answers you need and if you're a patron at the legend or super fan level, this very Sunday, Sunday, March the 4th, 2023, I'm doing a repot with me session on Zoom at four o'clock UK time. Please join me if you can for repotting chat, tips and suggestions. If you can't make it in person, then I will put the recording up on Patreon for those tiers. One of the many benefits of becoming a patron of the show. That's all for this week's show. Thank you so much for joining me along these last glorious six years and let's hope for many, many more episodes. Have a fantastic week and fear not, I'll be back next Friday just for you. Bye! The music you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by The Joy Drops, The Road We Used To Travel When We Were Young by Komiku and Whistle by Benjamin Banger. The ad music was Whistling Rufus by the Heftone Banjo Orchestra. All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons, visit the show notes for details.